home of the Buffalo Sabres. WGR Sports Radio 550 and WGR550.com. Sports Update. Following last night's 4-3 loss to the Edmonton Oilers, the Buffalo Sabres currently sit nine points out of a playoff spot with just 16 games remaining in the season. With postseason hopes getting slimmer by the day, Sabres forward Kyle Oposo admits that results are needed now more than ever. You know, at this point, there, there's no moral victories. At this point, we, get, we need results. We need to win, you know, and, and so yeah, we got to find ways to get those. And, and you know, the, the, the positives that you're talking about off the ice, the culture stuff, like that's just implemented now. That just is what it is. And, yeah, we, we've done a lot of good things in that regard. I think we've taken a lot of good strides there. But, you know, now it's time to try and get results. It's time to keep moving forward. And, and because if you're, you know, if you're not moving forward, you're staying stagnant. We don't want that. The Sabres return to the ice Thursday night in Chicago to take on the Blackhawks with puck drop at 8.30 right here on WGR. In NFL news, six-time Pro Bowl safety Eric Weddle has been cut by the Baltimore Ravens. It earlier reported this evening by NFL Network. The 34-year-old made the Pro Bowl each of the last three seasons in Baltimore. Weddle had one year remaining on his contract, but with the move, the Ravens saved $6.5 million in cap space. The LA Rams also saved roughly $6.5 million today, cutting linebacker Mark Barron. Adam Schefter reported that move earlier as Barron, the former 7th overall pick in 2012, was signed through 2020 and had 43 tackles last season. As for the deadline for using franchise tags in the NFL, that ended just a few hours ago today. Former Giants safety Landon Collins, I say former as he will hit free agency on March 13th. Earlier today, the Giants told Collins that they would not tag him and he will become a free agent. One player who did get tagged and now has a new contract is Buccaneers left tackle Donovan Smith. Today, the sides agreed on a three-year, $41 million deal that includes $27 million guaranteed. One player who has no contract right now is Jadavion Clowney of the Houston Texans. Despite being franchise tagged by the Texans, Clowney remains nowhere close to in contract negotiations with his team. That was reported by Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle. In MLB news, the Yankees have shut down pitcher Luis Severino with rotator cuff issues. Manager Aaron Boone says it's highly unlikely that Severino will be ready for opening day. And in college hoops, just about now, the UB Bulls are tipping off in Athens, Ohio against the Ohio Bobcats. The number 19 team in the country will look to clinch the regular season MAC title, and the number one seed in the conference tournament tonight with a victory. That game can be heard right over on ESPN 1520. I'm John Simon for WGR Sports Radio 550. For breaking sports news and updates, download the Radio.com app and enable push notifications. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What are we doing what in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. Hour number two of the nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR.
You know what I just realized? It's a pretty good, uh... Excuse to hold people off on, like, text. Be like, I'm on air. I'll text in 20. I mean, there's no comeback to that. It's just... Oh, I get it. Completely understandable. Can't text and host at the same time. Should be illegal. Can't text and host. I'm not doing it now. Even though I'm checking my text right now. Nope, no, I'm not. Um, it's the Nightcap 8030550 is the phone number. 55550 is the text line. And you can follow me at SneakyJoeWGR on Twitter. We listened to Phil Housley about uh, 20 minutes ago. And if you missed that, it's on demand at WGR550.com and on the radio.com app. And I don't know, man. I just, I think every time I listen to him talk, I, you, I know you, you're, you should not judge a GM or a coach based on what he says and what he sounds like in the media. But like, I, I think that should be more important than maybe a lot of guys give it credit for. Like, it should be respected more than you'd think. Because, I don't know, we're, we got, I remember Tim Murray, I always wanted to give him a pass. I always wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to say he got a lot of rope that maybe he shouldn't have got. Because he was so interesting to listen to. He was a must-listen. I mean, he would tell you exactly what he thought. He was frank. He was at times funny. He was also a little strange. And I don't know. He was just a great listen. And I think he got a bit of a benefit of the doubt from not just fans, but me. Although I would have been a fan when he was GM. Not that I'm not still. And I, you just listen to Housley talk, and it just it sounds like he doesn't have a clue. And you know that he does. I mean, he's a hockey coach. He's been and like he's been he's been a hockey coach for a while now. He's a Hall of Fame player. He was an assistant coach on a team that almost won the cup in Nashville. So I mean. You know he knows stuff, but he just comes across as clueless. And it's not just the media stuff, too. You can't, like I said, solely judge someone on that. Because it's not just that, also. He deserves a lot of criticism for the day-to-day decisions of this team. They've played players that do not help them on the ice and have not been experimental in any way in changing that. And getting better in that. Their centers have been their centers for the entire season. The only difference is you would have moved Rodriguez to wing when Berglund was here. Pretty much the only difference. Otherwise, it has been Eichel, Rodriguez, Middlestat, Larson, and Saboka. Those have been your centers. I know there's really not much in Rochester. But you got to know at some point, hey, maybe i got to claim someone on waivers. Hey, maybe I've got to trade one of these veteran guys for a lower-level prospect or a lower-level younger guy. Something. Try something. 
because they're at a point now where it's it's too late. You can try stuff for the to see what you should do for the future, and they probably will, but it's too late to make a difference for anything. One of the things I want I said last hour I want to see them do. I just want to sh- see Sean Malone in here just so I can see a different centerman, just so I can see a guy that hey maybe he could be a replacement for number seventeen or number twenty two at some point, maybe. So let me let me try it on, see what happens. They don't do that. I'm still not in a p- position though where I think they need to fire the coach. I wouldn't hate them if they did it. I won't love them if they do it either. I think it's it would be fair if they did it. I don't think the fact that he only got two years is a fair excuse for him to keep his job. If you think he's not doing a good job, I do not care how long he's been here. If you don't think that he's going to get better at that position, I don't. you should not care what other people might think of it. If you think you have the wrong coach, you don't keep him around. To save face. To make it more in a more attractive position to future head coaches. Do, do they think that? Maybe. I would guess at this point they probably don't. It sounds like there's no locker room stuff. It sounds like there's no revolt from the players. And the, the, the thing about you know, the players doing something in practice and then not doing it in the games. And I, I just think that's so hard to carry over exactly what you practice into games because you're playing different opponents every night you're playing different systems across the league you're playing sometimes with travel and you're not playing in a controlled environment which is what a practice is it's all set up for you to try to practice a certain thing in games I just don't think you can expect that to carry over. So I wouldn't want any criticism put on Housley for that. I think it's fair to do some of the the roster decisions, the lineup decisions, I should say. It's fair to put that on him, but like otherwise, I think his system should work. I like his system. The defensemen are aggressive. The defensemen are fluid. The defensemen are allowed to move their feet. I mean, the one thing that was so frustrating about Bilesma's system is that he, his defensemen were stagnant. He would chain them to the points, and they were not to come off of it. And in today's game, I need to be fluid. I need to, I need to be moving around. I need to be loose. And I think, ideally, if you got the right players in, and you've got Housley making the right lineup decisions, that should work. Like That's what today's game should be all about is young, fast, fluid, loose, offensive. And I think his system is supposed to breed that, but his mindset is not following suit. It's not consistent to me. The one thing that's most frustrating from him is my hopes of what he was going to be as a coach. Because I'm you're just you're so sick of your head coach being a former third or fourth line player. A former grit guy. Like, that's coaches today. As much as I love Lindy, even that's what he was as a player. Doesn't it just seem like that's who becomes coaches? How often do legends do it? I mean, Gretzky tried it, but past that... No, you get your Rick Tockets that try to be a coach. 
Your Brindamores, even if they were good players, they're still those grit guys. And Housley was like a finesse offensive player. But he doesn't coach like he was a finesse offensive player. He coaches like he was a third-line player. He coaches like he was a third-pair defenseman who would cross-check you in front of the net. That's, who, that's how he coaches. Still plays versus the line in 25 minutes a night. That's what that type of coach does. He still plays Scandella and never considers scratching him. That's what that type of coach does. The fluid, offensive, you know, loose coach that breeds offense, breeds skill that I think I wanted. Doesn't make those decisions. That coach is playing Lawrence Pilot top four minutes. That coach is scratching Scandella way earlier. That coach is not playing Vladimir Sabotka. Almost ever. Especially not in three-on-three overtime. Especially in three-on-three overtime. That coach is playing Skinner more in three-on-three overtime, by the way. And not worried as much about his defensive ability. And I don't think we have it. He's not the whole package that I expected, but to me, if the team finishes above 80 points and I still got that system that I like, I, I'm ready to give it one, give him one last shot next season. And I think that's probably the most realistic thing that happens. They're probably going to end up above 80 points. He's probably going to be back here for next year. They're probably going to improve again. There's the optimistic part of me coming out. And I, I think he's probably here for a good amount of time. Like, what would have to happen? If they finish, like, with 75 points, then maybe this is it this season. But that is some kind of struggle down the stretch here. I mean, that's nine points. That's not that's seven points in your last 17 games. <sighs> I mean, even, if, even for as bad as they've been, that's tough. That's tough to pull that off. Because we're, t- we're talking about the lottery again, if that happens. We are talking about the lottery... You know one thing I figured out the other day? NHL Lottery Simulator don't doesn't exist anymore. You can find them. There's better ones even. But the the OG NHLLotterySimulator.com doesn't exist anymore. Maybe they maybe it's because they went out of business because the Sabres got good for a little bit. And they lost all their they lost all their they lost all their users. I don't know. I don't know. How about the roster in the offseason? The one thing Travis Yo said. One of many things that was interesting to me with Shopin the Bulldog earlier was when he talked about the Sabres window being open now and that Montour was an example. But I'll just play it. Here's Travis Yost with Shopin the Bulldog earlier question to me that Buffalo needs to answer is what is our window for contention? To me, it's right now. Like, you have Jack Eichel now in his prime. You have Rasmus Dahlin, who's probably a year or two max from his prime. They have some cap space. They have interesting aspects. They have interesting prospects. What are you doing to build for the future? Like, the Brandon Montour trade, like, I think that makes sense. I thought he's, he can provide more value on, on a, in special teams minute to Buffalo than he could with Anaheim, but the problem is you need three or four of those to really make you change your mind about the outlook of this team. That's on demand at WGR550.com if you want to check that out. I agree with that. And the answer to that question, like their window should be 
Their window should be now to make the playoffs. Their window to ideally be competing with Toronto and Tampa is still a few years away. Because I think at this point, unless they do something that they have not done in years, which is provide your star player, Jack Eichel, with a proper supporting cast. Otherwise, you're waiting for Middlestat and Darlene. And that's it. You're waiting for Darlene to hit 21, 22, and really take off. Maybe he does it earlier, but generally that's when it happens. You're waiting for Middlestat, who after this year, maybe seems like he might take an extra year or two to really hit his, his stride. You're waiting for that to happen in two, three years. So I think in terms of talking about your window to compete like deep into the playoffs, that's a couple years away. They should be competing for playoff spots. They absolutely should. It does not take much for that to happen. It's not some kind of glorious accomplishment to compete for a playoff spot or to even squeak in. The Devils did it last year after being terrible for years and then are back to being terrible this year. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you get healthy. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get really good goaltending. Or sometimes all of that happens. Colorado, it's happened twice to them in the last five years. When McKinnon was a rookie, they had insanely good goaltending from Semyon Varlamov. And they had, that rode them into the playoffs. Were they a playoff team? Probably not. But they had great goaltending. Last year, McKinnon carried them, man. I mean, he was should have been MVP. Did he win MVP? I don't remember if he did. Uh, but he should have. One line, really, is how Colorado got in last year. One line. Landis Cock, Ronton, and McKinnon. That one line might get them in again this year. Sometimes all it takes is one great line. The Sabres have that. I think it just says how bad the rest of it is. And I'm ready, like, they made the Montour trade. I don't think that does, that means they don't make another one like that. They've got another first round pick to, to throw around. Because they still will probably have the Sharks pick. Assuming that, you know, the Blues pick is going to go to the Ducks for Montour, which seems probably most likely at this point. Do they find another 23, 24, 25-year-old and pay a first and a prospect to get him? The the one name, and Bulldog mentioned this earlier too, the one name that really sticks out for me for that is Jonathan Huberto in, in Florida. And that's realistic. He's 25. I don't really know why they're trading him, but he's a 60, 70-point player. He's point a game this year. Six, I just looked up 65 points in 65 games. Like not an epic goal scorer. He's got 18 goals, but lots of assists. 70 points last year. Almost a point a game in an injured year the year before. 59 points the year before that. 54 points the year before that. He kind of reads like Reinhardt to me early in his career, and then he just kind of took another step, which Reinhardt is pretty much taking right now. Like, am I doing that trade? If I'm the Sabres, am I trading a first-round pick and whoever my best prospect is for Huberto? If they want Tage Thompson in the, in the Sharks pick, am I doing that? Because I think I am. Even though he's a little older than both my franchise players, especially Darlene, he's seven years older than Darlene, he's older than my franchise players. But 
He's helping me for six years. At least. And I think they need to start thinking about next year being a make or break year. And I think we'll get there. I think we will go into this offseason and we will know that if Housley's back next year, and I'm assuming Batra will be, because I'd be floored if he wasn't, next year might it's probably make it break it for not just the coach, but for the GM too. Maybe they don't have to make the playoffs, but you've got to be playing meaningful games in the last month of the season. You've, you've got to at some point do that because it's not that hard. And this notion that GMs and coaches need two, three years to figure it out. Look at the freaking Islanders right now. That team has been a disaster for 10, 15 years. They've probably had terrible culture, and they've probably had very poor support systems around John Tavares, poor goaltending, poor GMs, poor coaches, poor everything. They brought in Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello, and it, snap of the fingers, it's fixed. They're in first place. It's not that hard for it to happen, and you don't need three, four years to figure it out. There are several instances of new regimes coming in and fixing it immediately, overnight. So next year is going to be make it, break it. Which to me means this team, and I think I would guess this probably happens, this team's going to be looking for big name contributors in their mid-20s, like Jonathan Huberto. And hey, maybe even in free agency, if they can convince Matt Duchesne, I would expect... And I would want to expect that they would at least try to get Matt Duchesne. I don't think they'll get him, but I would want and I would expect them to try for that. Because that is a move or is a action, a way of thinking that says we are going for the playoffs. Like we're trying to win now. It's not just about a rebuild in future anymore. Huberto is more realistic. Than Duchesne. Um, but yeah. That's the line of thinking they need to be in. Didn't get into football here. I want to talk something about the draft and the combine. Um, we'll do that in the next segment. Kyler Murray. There's some interesting tweets. from uh, It's from James Palmer of NFL Network. But it's the words of Char- Charlie Casserly. Who is the analyst there. And a little bit of reporting on Kyler Murray. Josh Rosen. It seems like that Murray's going to Arizona. We'll talk about that when we come back as well. Um, here on the Nightcap. And then later in the show, just a little bit later, we'll get to Cynthia Frudland from NFL Network. She was on with One Bills Live earlier today. Analytics and that kind of view at the Combine, at the draft, at the scouts, what this Bills could do. Well, we'll get all of that right ahead on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Got about a half hour, a little less here on WGR. Talk. Let's talk, talk some NFL draft. Let's get into it. Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen. I want to get into that. DK Metcalf. Before I get into it, because I'm not going to be able to tell you a lot of this stuff, I'll get you a little bit up to speed on what happened at the Combine. DK Metcalf, man, I mean, the most interesting 
player probably be at it. A little more in-depth on that with Cynthia Freland from NFL Network on One Bills Live earlier today. Here's Cynthia. DK Metcalf showed me enough at the Combine to make me want to spend the next seven weeks learning more about him. I mean, there's a chance this guy could be really, really something special, something different, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he, he ran faster and jumped higher than Julio Jones at almost the same height. So, not again, that's not to say he's going to be Julio Jones, but just to give you a mental picture of what you're working with athletically, he's insane. He also is about the nicest kid that I met there. You know, he is recovering from a neck injury where he didn't think he was going to be able to kind of be participating. He's like, I don't even, he's like, I don't, he came up and we did an interview with him and he was like, you know, I didn't think I was going to be here. And he had tears in his eyes and he was calling his mom and he was just so grateful. He was just like such a, like, he's the kind of guy you want to root for, for sure. But I'm not, you know, obviously I do analytics, so I can't let that cloud my judgment. But I do know, you know, if he ended up in Buffalo, he would be a fan favorite very fast. He's that, got that personality. The, but, um, the only red... Was? The only red flag that came up with him was his three-cone drill wasn't all that good. But how does that equate? I know you've done a lot of analytics about what was important and what numbers are important in these things. What do you think about a guy who tests out so positively in so many ways and then has sort of a hole in his statistics? It's not even remotely important. (laughs) The three-cone drill is a good one for agility. But if you're saying, is DK Metcalf going to run laterally in space, like in within such a small, like such a small, like area, that's not even a route that's on the route tree. Like, I guess maybe like a slant that went horribly wrong, but it's throw that out. Don't honestly don't just in the same way. Also, don't overanalyze his four, three, three, 40. Don't over like, don't make any of it too great. Right. The, the point is, is that the ones that do matter, like, his vert, the first 10 split of his 40, which is like initial burst, all of those things fell within elite ranges. And then that just says, okay, I'm going back to watch his film and to make sure that what I saw from him in college, and by the way, he was injured, so he is returning from an injury, so that's something people are going to have to take into consideration very strongly. And then that's what you look at, right? Like, get over the three. The three-cone drill is far more important for defensive ends or people who have to move in short area spaces laterally more often. We're on the line with Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network analytics experts. expert. Cynthia, it's important to note that your analysis deals with, what, 15 years of combine results, and you compare position groups against each other based on those 15 years of results. That's how you get to your, your suppositions about who's playing well, who's not at the combine, right? So the way I did it was I took NFL data, like who they became, because there's a lot of things that are unknown. So, for example, are you playing a 43 defense or a 34 defense, right? Like, are, is, it, is it a defense with a lot of exotic fronts or not? Like, these are the things that matter once you get development and what happens in the league. So I take 15 seasons of NFL data, so who they were in the NFL, National Football League, and then I create worked with coaches to create profiles by position of what the most important attributes are. So, you know, uh, Antonio Brown is elite because of these things. So we, I, I bucketed every single player in the National Football League. They get three years to become who they are. And then I went worked backwards. So once we profiled everyone into five buckets, then I went backwards and I, I put everything that was known about them on a piece of paper, and I created so from their college resume to combine results, and I looked for correlations. So I found the things that were most correlated to success, but I worked it backwards because you and I and everyone else know that the philosophy that a team plays with and the amount of, like, you know, training and 
who you get to work with and how, how you know, Patrick Mahomes had the luxury of not having to start year one, things like that, right? You get three years to become you are, and then it work it backwards to find the lookalikes from the past. Well, I got to ask you now about yeah. what, and I had, let me just get back to where my question was. Hold on. Yeah. It is, oh, I know. <laughs> Sorry about that, Cynthia. No, you're good. Tell me, tell me about anybody in this draft and compare them to guys who we know. Guys like Julio, what's DK Metcalf, how does he compare to Julio Jones? How does he compare to A.J. Green? You know, some of the great receivers that, you've, you, know, that you obviously have evaluated, do these numbers of these guys in this draft, did your assessment of them shuffle around to the guys that are available in this draft? Yeah, so like he does, DK Metcalf does have comparables to, a, you know, a Julio Jones or an AJ Green. However, you do have to look at his like college body of work, and you have to go back and you have to say, okay, did you see him on film run the routes that we would be playing with our team? Like, what do the Bills want? What is what is if you're looking for the Bills? Like, which strategy do we want? Bills do need a number one receiver, so how do we what 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 role do we anticipate him playing on our team and then do we go see that those routes like the goes and the deep routes the true number one routes like are those the ones that he's going to be able to do does his college film match the combine results and then also match our philosophy so it's three like three prong event right so it's what do we see in college what do we see at the combine how would that relate to our philosophy Cynthia, one of the things you you have done is uh, gone through the combine now that it's over in Came up with numbers that mattered. And look, we're overwhelmed mm-hmm. with numbers uh, after the weekend of workouts. But what were the important ones? What should NFL fans take away from this combine in terms of uh, the numbers that mean something? So I thought it was interesting trend-wise that this season, so if you take all of the 40 times for wide receivers and you put an average up, this is the first time that that average, so typically, like, obviously, you know, the average doesn't mean, like, just the fastest people, right? It's everyone who's run and what they've, they've averaged. And this is actually the fastest wide receiver class overall that we've seen since 2003. So wow. 2003 is when things really became automated with the testing. So it's easier apples to apples to compare from the 2003 stuff because that was when, you know, the electronic timing was in place as opposed to hand timing. So, so that's interesting. Are people faster? Is that as, as simple as that? It's, you know, I think it's also, like, the way that they've been training, right? These, like, I've got a chance to talk to a lot of these guys who, like, a number of guys were really training with, like, like they went to Kobe's gym out here in uh, Los Angeles where it, it's called the, like, Mamba gym or whatever. And ultimately they were doing basketball drills in order to, like, help, like, really, you know, te- like, train for specifically jumping and train for specifically like so i think it's a a greater emphasis on you know training and how they prepare for the combine specifically i'm not saying it's incredibly predictive of the future but i do think it's interesting that they're so able to focus and specify i mean dk metcalf was 1.6 percent body fat that's just ludicrous like that's (laughs) insane right Mm -hmm. so he's not going to play at that he's not going to play at 1.6 because you actually need to be a little heavier you need to have a higher fat content to, to prevent injury so he was training for these results, and then, you know, it just shows dedication and, you know, real commitment to what they what is being asked of them, right? Yeah. So I think that's kind of how it comes across. Cynthia, I was telling my partner Steve here, one of the most uh, astute comments I heard all weekend came from your colleague Daniel Jeremiah about Metcalf when he said, okay, time for him to get away from the weight room and get in onto the yoga mat. He probably would benefit from that type of workout now, right? 
Yeah, a lot of guys do a lot of Pilates and yeah. yoga. Um, Lorenz, uh, like you got you got some people out out there in your way who talk about doing Pilates all the time. So yeah. those are more like flexibility based things. And but look, they're asked to participate in the combine. Sure. They're asked to get results in the combine, and then next they'll be asked to show up at training camp and mini camp and all those things that are part of the NFL cycle. So they really have it down pat from a training standpoint, and that's what you're seeing these like freak athletes like. Go watch Jalen Ramsey, like he and his Instagram and stuff. You'll see he's he's in great shape too. Like these elite level guys are doing elite things year round, so they're really like you're starting to see the younger guys take to it even earlier than before. How do you see the very top of this draft taking shape? I think Kyler Murray goes number one. I think we see. I believe that I believe uh, Josh Rosen will be playing in Washington. I, I I don't know this for sure, but I believe that he will. I, I strong indications that he. Will be headed to Washington um, and Kyler to uh, to Arizona, and then I think some defensive players uh, will go off the board quickly. I I I think Quinn and Williams is going to be from the defensive tackle out of Alabama. He he had like what what I'm going to say is his combine results were exactly within the ranges that show like that help predict for someone to become above average or elite in the NFL. But it, they weren't, like, super burnery, right? Like, Rashawn Gary, he's an edge defender, had an even better day. But when I got a chance to talk to some of the defensive coaches and they talk about footwork and they talk about how many steps before you have to be headed towards the quarterback, by the way, the answer to that is five. Like, they, when they talk about the footwork, it's like everything he did on film matched everything that happened at the combine, matched how he interviewed. That's the one who I think, like, if I had to say who's the guy who I think is going to be a pro bowler really quickly – I think it might be that. I think it might be Quinn and Williams. Hey, back to the quarterback for a second, Cynthia. I loved yeah. what you did uh, post-combine when you talked about people, position groups, stock up, stock down. And on the oh, quarterbacks. Oh, Buffalo guy. I love him. <laughs> I'm rooting for him big time. Yeah, you He's had Tyree Jackson. Yeah, tell me what you thought of him. 6'7", really heavy. I think it was like 240-something. I can't remember off Yeah, hand. 249, he I ran think. 249. He ran like a 4, 5, 6, 40, which is hilarious. And... I know this is ridiculous, but when I watch their faces and when I watch to see if they're having fun and, and really, like, you know, like listening and just enjoying the moment, like, this kid was just crushing it. Yeah. He, his, you know, people were talking about nobody, nobody and, and no offense, I know people you're, in your area knew who he was, but nobody really knew who he was nationally prior, but he made such a great impression on literally everyone. Like, everyone was talking about his base looked great. There's only one quarterback who measured taller than him in the 15-year sample. Do you have any guess who it is? Uh, Osweiler. Nope. It's Mike Glennon. Glennon. He's taller. He's taller than Brock Osweiler. So oh, wow. it's rare to have such a tall quarterback. Yeah. But he made such a great impression, and people are like, you know what, this kid's like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. So I know I'm personally like, I just was a fan of how he handled himself yeah. and. He had the it factor. He had the great swagger. Like, some of these things that when you talk to, you know, obviously football is always like a marriage of, like, you know, the numbers and the philosophy and what you see on the field. And people were really, you know, people around the league, because I was like, who's your favorite sleeper amongst these four? And I asked. And and I didn't get anyone to say anyone other than him. He's got, in fact, his pro days right on the other side of the building here where we are uh, next week. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Next week he's going to be throwing here. He just looks like he's having a great time. Yeah. I know that's stupid. But he's having a great time, and, like, his base was great. People were happy with his throws. He made a good impression. I, I really, truly hope, you know, he gets a chance. 
There is Cynthia Freland with Murph and Tasker earlier today on One Bills Live. We'll come back. Last call in the nightcap after this. Talk a little bit, especially about what she had to say on Josh Rosen and the Washington Redskins. Also, Kyler Murray, that whole situation. We'll touch on that before we get out of here after this. Only got a couple minutes here on the nightcap. Jody Biasi on WGR. Last call. So the interview we just played, NFL Network, Cynthia Froland, she mentions the possibility of Josh Rosen going to the Redskins. And I think that is completely, completely the spot for him. Just right, makes total sense. Even if Alex Smith was healthy, it would make sense. Because they have no quarterback for the future. They just have guys in their 30s right now. It's Smith, who's injured, and Colt McCoy. Maybe Josh Johnson's still hanging around there. I don't even know. Man, it's weird that Arizona's in this spot. I understand it. I like that they're doing what they're going to do, which is going to draft Kyler Murray first overall. Seems like the winds are blowing that way. And Rosen, man. The story about him only being getting a third-round pick, though, is nuts. He was 10th overall last season, and... You had to know that he's not the same as Josh Allen. Or even Darnold, for that matter. Because the one thing Rosen does not have is athleticism. So if he doesn't have a proper offensive line and he doesn't have proper weapons, it is going to be harder for him to make up for that stuff as a young quarterback. And if you look at it last year, like we all talked about how bad the Bills' offensive line was, but Pro Football Focus had them 17th in pass blocking. It's not good, but it's like league average. The Cardinals were dead last. So, it's hard for Rosen to me to make up for that stuff. I think that he's still going to be a really good quarterback. I still think that he's going to be better than... I really think he's going to be better than Darnold, at least. And Lamar Jackson. It's hard for me to still say that he'll be better than Allen. I I don't think he will at this point. Um, I thought that before, but he's still got promise. The dude is still accurate to a pin. He's missing the athleticism, and he did. He had poor decision-making last year. But when you have accuracy in an arm like that to build off of, I'd be jumping all over that if I were a team like Washington. They probably will. All right, that's going to do it for me tonight on the Nightcap. Stay tuned. NASCAR Live is coming up next. Howard and Jeremy tomorrow morning. Show up in the Bulldog, of course, tomorrow at 3. Chris Trapasso will be on at 4 from CBS. And then I'll be back at 7, another full show. Sabres only play twice this week, so you get more of me. Sabres at Blackhawks on Thursday. So I'll be here tomorrow, 7 to 9. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Jody Biasi on the Nightcap signing off here on WGR. WGR.